Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. <laughs> uh, my name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here this morning. Uh, I'm welcoming you. If this is your first time here, we welcome you. We're glad that you're here with us. Uh, a few announcements this morning before we begin. One is in two weeks. Anybody know what happens in two weeks? It's, a good, it's Easter. It's the celebration, the greatest celebration in the church is uh, the celebration of Christ being raised from the dead. And Good Friday is before that. And we will actually have both services on both of those days. So Friday, Good Friday, we'll have two services. There's a, an invite in your bulletin uh, for you to attend that, to come out. Also, uh, on Easter, we're going to have three services. So we know that typically uh, Easter and Christmas are big uh, times of visits. A lot of people come. They may only come those two times of the year. So we want to be praying for those who do visit us, that uh, their hearts would be open to the gospel. They would hear about the love of Christ and that they'd feel welcomed here. And so please be praying ahead for Good Friday as well. It's a beautiful service of remembrance of what Christ has done. And then uh, praying for Christmas or Christmas, Easter. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's a joke behind that, but I won't go there this morning. Uh, Anyway, so this morning I'm picking up where, uh, uh, from Bobby. Uh, we're in the Judgment Parables, and our text this morning is in Matthew 25. So if you would stand with me in the reading of God's Word, uh, we'll begin. <clears throat> the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish ones, or the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy yourself, buy for yourself. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. So we, Bobby brought us into the judgment parables last week. Jonah will be finishing up next week. And just to think a little bit about the judgment parables, they, they're hard. They're weighty. They, they have some strength to them. They're straight to the point. They, um, they don't give you a lot of wiggle room, you know? You don't have to wonder, like, what's it really saying? Because it's very clear, like, this is what it's saying to us on how to live. Um, and in this one, you hear about bridegrooms. You hear about a groom coming. You hear about oil, and there's a door that's shut. And then there's a declaration that says, I never knew you. I mean, that's pretty strong language. I mean, it's all within 13 verses, and it's kind of like we jump in, it gets active, and then it's over. And it's just tough. 
One of the things I, I think looking in Scripture and looking at the text of Scripture in the Gospels, when Jesus is speaking to people, he, he actually will speak to them in the way that they will hear him. So in other words, if he's with the woman at the well, he speaks in one manner to her and reveals to her, shows to her that she is loved and, and that her accusers are gone and he doesn't accuse her anymore. And, but then he'll say, but go and sin no more. You know, he speaks to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he's very straightforward with them. He's speaking directly to them. And, and this is what the, the parables are doing for us today. The, this parable is written to the church. It's written to us. And, and so he is speaking directly to us today. Now, last week, uh, Bobby had mentioned that we can become our worst critic. And if that's the case for you or for myself, Actually, it can put us on the wrong side of this parable before we even begin. In other words, if I'm already hard on myself, I'll read a passage like this and I'll place myself on the other side of judgment. I'll place myself there like I'm, I'm already under this judgment. And I, my encouragement to us this morning, and even for myself as I've spent some time here, is that just hear God's word today. Just hear it. Listen to it. And hear what God is saying to your heart regarding this message. So kind of shake off that criticalness that you may have uh, toward yourself. So one of the things this, this, these passages or this type of parable revs me up is because a lot of my earlier days I left, was left wandering around. In other words, I, I really had no sense of direction. Um, I was just kind of left on my own to figure out my direction in life, my path in life. And these parables, for me at least, they get me my engine running because they, they actually tell me, this is what you do, Rob. And it's very clear to the point. So I like that. If I'm sitting with somebody and I'm talking with somebody and they're dancing around something, that just gets me all confused. I don't even know what they're trying to say. And I'd rather them just say directly, this is what I need to, you to hear. Well, the Lord is doing that today. And these texts, such as the parables, these judgment parables, they realign me, they, they refocus me, uh, a renewal kind of thing. It, it wakes me up. In the church, we'd say it's a, it's a time of repentance. It's a time of turning, refocusing back on the Lord and my relationship with Him. When I started preparing for this, this sermon, a song immediately resonated with me. We sang it this morning, uh, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And this is the verses that captured me. It says, Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it by thy courts above. And that's exactly where my heart was when I began studying this. I mean, it started stirring this in me that I feel this tension of drifting, but I feel this desire in me that longs for Christ, longs for our King to be so close. So this realigning, realigning, this refocusing, renewals is really a time of hope. It's a time of hope that God is speaking to us and speaking to you, speaking to me about preparation for this beautiful day that's coming when Christ will break open the sky and take us home. That's glorious. It's a glorious day that's coming. 
This passage actually begins with two stark phrases that I want to actually begin with um, before we get into, the, in the, in the, the meat of it. And they're like bookends. And the first bookend is like this. It says, the kingdom of heaven will be like. So there's no question what's going on here. It's the Lord saying to us, this is what it's going to be like. He doesn't say, Jesus doesn't play games with his people, right? He doesn't say, well, Rob, it might look like this, so you better be ready. Or there's a possibility it could go this way, but I'm not really sure. Jesus doesn't play games with our heart. So when he speaks to us to say, this is what the kingdom will be like, he's clearly stating this is what's going to happen. Now, the other end of this parable, it says, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore. So you have a declaration of what it's going to be like. You have the ending that says, there's going to be an ending where people are going to hear, I do not know you. Watch. Just to think about that for a minute, to not be known by Jesus means there's going to be a clear separation from Jesus. It's a warning letter. It's a wake-up call. It's a get-your-attention type of thing. Listen to what's happening. This is coming. So the parable is in a wedding setting. And in those days, the practices of the day, they had girls with lamps or probably more like torches who ranged from about 12 to 16. And they would wait to lead the groom in a processional to the wedding feast. And it was the common knowledge of the day that there may be a delay in the groom's coming. And being that they are leading this processional, for them to be ready is of the utmost importance. I mean, they're leading this groom into the wedding feast. Now, think with me, if you would, in a preparation of a wedding. They're truly maddening. If anybody's been a part of a wedding preparation, it's crazy, okay? I mean, people are running around. They want the service to be perfect. People are forgetting things. People are showing up late. There's just a lot going on. And what always gets me as I'm leading, if I'm leading in the wedding or um, in the ceremony, I will walk around, I'll speak to the bride. It's like, it's going to be okay. I'll speak to the groom. Hey, it doesn't matter if the cake makes it or not. Your bride's here. Focus on your bride, you know? Kind of to bring down the level a little bit because everything just has to be perfect. And then on top of that, all this commotion's going on behind the scenes. And then when the service starts, everybody's up smiling really quick. And I'm like, did anyone recognize or do you all know what happened 15 minutes ago when everybody was in panic and now they're smiling? So all this is going on in the wedding prep. And then the bridesmaids walk in with old uh, T-shirts on, pajama pants, sleepy hair, and they're coming for the wedding. And I'm like, this isn't right, right? I mean, this is a great day. We should be prepared. But those things happen, and this is kind of what's happening here. The parable is, is people are not prepared. The wedding, they're not ready for this wedding. So verse 1 begins, The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who take their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. This is what verse 2 says. <clears throat> 
Five virgins were foolish and five were wise. Five came ready for the service. Five came in their pajamas. They weren't ready. Now, earlier in our series, we heard about foolishness. And foolishness defined is when someone rejects or hates God's definition of reality. In other words, they understand God's definition of reality, and they're saying, nah, I think this is reality. Proverbs will say that this foolishness will bring someone to ruin, destruction, and shame. But we also heard that wisdom is about accepting, rejoicing, and following God's definition of reality. Wisdom is pleasant to the soul, giving understanding, according to the book of Proverbs. Here in the wedding, the foolish virgins took no oil with them, knowing that there's a possible delay. Now, if you invite someone to be a part of your wedding, you obviously have some type of relationship with them for them to be in your wedding. I mean, you don't just choose anyone to be your maid of honor. You don't just choose anyone to be your best man. These relationships all represent you and your bride to all those who come to the service. There's a relationship there. There's some significance of while that invitation has been invited, you've been invited to the ceremony. So can you imagine you being invited to a ceremony to participate in the greatest day of this couple and not be ready? It's unheard of. No one would do that. Many times when we read this passage, or I've heard this passage, and they speak about oil in this passage, a lot of times I would hear, or obviously, I mean, all the time I would hear it's about obedience or it's about duty. And I truly don't see this in this parable at all. Matter of fact, what I see in this parable is much different. What I see in this parable is that this parable is about relationship. It's about being known and knowing who I've been invited by. That's what it's about. And it's out of that knowing that I'm prepared. And so the oil is not about what you do or don't do for God. The oil is about the significance of your relationship with Christ. I heard once one person say that we are fulfilled as our relationships are significant. We are fulfilled as our relationships are significant. To me, relationships are the very same when you consider the cost of oil in this day. Deep, soul-connecting relationships cost time and value. You don't take someone that's close to you deeply and take their relationship for granted. You honor and respect those that you have a deep relationship with. There's a connection that's happened that has been made and forged over the course of time that connects you deeply with one another. This is the same with Christ. This is the same with us. See, all the virgins were invited. They, they all had lamps and they all had some amount of oil, but five of them were indifferent and careless in their relationship with the groom. Proverbs says there's a source of wisdom for us to live by. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. 
The message says it a little bit differently. It'll say, skilled living gets its start from the fear of the Lord. There's a clear understanding of who he is and who I am not. So for me, it looks something like this. I was made from dust. I have a beginning and an end date. God does not. I am finite. He is infinite. My very breath comes from the one who created my brain to tell my lungs to breathe and my heart to beat. I don't make that happen on a moment-to-moment basis. The one who knew me in my mother's womb, who knows me now and knows my, every, my very last day, he is God and I am not. He is God and I am not. His ways are higher than my ways. He is holy and I am not. See, it's this wisdom, understanding who he is and who I am, places me in a posture in my relationship with Christ, giving me the wisdom on how I'm to live unto him. There's nothing more important to you and I than our relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing. Nothing. The five foolish virgins chose to live a different reality other than God's. Their lack of care showed a shallow affection to the groom. The scripture goes on to say, there was a cry at midnight to come meet the groom and all the virgins arose, trimmed their lamps to meet the groom. And verse eight says, And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves oil. Notice all the virgins dozed off. Notice all the virgins had lamps. All the virgins were invited to participate in the ceremony. All the virgins had some amount of oil, but the foolish didn't have enough oil. And so they asked for help, and they knew immediately they were lacking. The wise, in contrast, had no concern over the amount of oil, almost a sense of peace that they were ready for his coming. They knew they were ready. And if you now think about this intimacy, that's when coffee just went geared in, right? intimacy with Christ is not something you and I foster up last minute. We don't piggyback ride on someone's faith to enter heaven. There isn't any of that. There's no dealer where you can go buy a can of a little dab will do you intimacy with Christ. There's no kind of relationship with a living God such as that. I have to say, I'm a chaplain at a local hospital, and many times I meet people in their urgency. And I meet people in their urgency. In other words, they they know their time is near. And I have to say to you, I believe in Beth Dead confessions because of God's grace abounds. But you know, for us today, we're not on our deathbed. That's not a good place to wait for a sense of urgency with Christ. 
Tim Keller says it like this, it is impossible to have met the real Jesus and be indifferent. It's impossible to meet the real Jesus and care less. You either bow down and wonder or you go away offended. See, it's here the foolish ones say to the wise, give us some of your oil. And I could almost hear the foolish ones saying, and they call themselves Christians. Mm. See, you and I are responsible for our souls before God. We may have men and women that pour and care for our souls and speak to our life and pray for us and lift us up. But when it's all said and done, it's you and I that stand before God personally. But their lack of preparedness shows that they had lost a desire. They had lost a closeness with the groom. Now, prior to any wedding day, there's premarital counseling. And premarital counseling is always fun for me to do because when there's premarital counseling, if you can actually visualize this, there's, there's hearts that are floating around, you know, and cupids are, you know, flapping their wings, shooting these little arrows. And uh, it's, it's really a cool time. I mean, it's really exciting. Um, eyelids are fluttering one to another. You know, no one can do no wrong at this moment other than the guy doing the counseling. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, and so they're, they're in the midst of preparing for this great day. And I'm joining them in that preparation. And uh, they're getting things ordered and they're, they're getting people together. And this is how it's all going to happen. And they, you know, get everything set. And the big day happens, the honeymoon is amazing, and they come home to life. Because I just want you to know the honeymoon isn't life, okay? I mean, it gives life, right? But you don't live there all the rest of your days, you know, in a sense. And, and so now bills have to be paid. Diapers have to be changed. Someone's got to do the laundry, which is a great question in premarital counseling because nobody has an answer at that moment. Who's going to do your laundry? But the kids have to be fed, and life is happening. Now, years pass, and the kids are off to college, and they may get married. And you sit with your spouse in your living room, and you look over at your spouse, and you're wondering, who the heck are you over there? Something's happened on that journey where they move from that premarital state and the, from the marriage, the day of the wedding and the honeymoon to a, a life existing where things just become functional. And all of a sudden, you're sitting and you're looking at your spouse going, who are you? I absolutely know this can happen in our relationship with God. To eat, you and I can hear the good news so often, it no longer becomes exciting news. You know, we, we kind of forget. We, we, it doesn't move our hearts like it originally did. Peter, I mean, Peter actually will say that we can become nearsighted, blind, forgetting that we've been forgiven of our sins. Forgetting that you and I have been forgiven of our sins. That's called nearsightedness. It's when I'm in my world and I'm just functioning. 
Once again, we're fulfilled as our relationships are significant. Now, for those of us that are dated in this room, you may remember this show. Let's see if it's up there. There it is. Lost in Space. The Lost in Space was an interesting, I mean, this was classic stuff. For those of y'all didn't have it as a kid, I'm, y'all missed out, all right? Uh, not really, but it sounds good. So here's this big robot, kind of a teleprompt machine-looking thing, and he would follow Will Robinson around. And he had one job, and his job was to protect Will Robinson. And what would happen if danger came? Oh, yeah. Can someone come demonstrate that? I'm just kidding. But that's what happened. These slinky arms would come out. I mean, they would just like stretch out there and they would just do this wave. It was the first wave, really, actually. And, and he would say, warning, Will Robinson, warning. See, I want you to think for a moment. You and I here in this room, this parable is for the church. It's for you and I right now, hearing God's word, applying it to our hearts. It's a warning passage. It's telling us to be aware. And let me just say quickly, you're on this side of judgment. You're in a place of hope. You're in a place that can make that change right now. You're in a place that you can understand that I need to draw closer to him. Romans 13, 11 says this, and do this, understand the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. It's closer. I received Christ in 1983. It's closer. And Jeannie and I have been married for 31 years in July. And I, you know, be honest here, not that I would lie up here, but just to be more forthtelling, in our journey, we've had moments of times where we would say to one another, sitting in the room together, I feel a million miles away from you. We would say that. We are honest with our feelings. We are honest about daily life happening. We are honest about the functionality of our marriage and life. It's normal for us to get in a rhythm and function without giving our heart and keeping our heart close. It's normal. We sang it earlier, our, our heart I feel this tendency from my heart to wander away, to pull away. Now, when Jeannie and I, or one of us says that to one another, we know immediately it's time to get busy about our relationship. In other words, it's like, it's a time of realignment. It's a time of refocusing. It's a time of renewal. It's a time of turning our hearts back one to another. Because I want you to know something. There's no one more important in our lives, your life if you're married, but for me, there's no one more important than my wife. No one. She's my bride. And I just want you to know, for all you men in here, that would have been a great amen. <laughs> Should I say it again? Amen. All right. Thank you. <laughs> See, we can function in any of our relationships. I can take out the trash. I can provide for my family. I can protect my family. 
I can open the door for when Jeannie's coming. I can do all these functional things without giving her my heart. I can do that. It's called existing. It's called deep sleep walking. So to speak. I just made that up. It's good. But you know what's scary? Is that we can do that with Christ. We can say all the right words, do all the right things. We can attend church every Sunday. We can look good outwardly, but inwardly our hearts are very far from Jesus. And do you know Jesus doesn't want that? He doesn't. You and I have been invited to the wedding feast. Our relationship with Christ is the most important relationship in our life. Verse 10 goes on to say, And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. The wise were confident. They had confidence in the readiness of the gospel or the groom. See, I want you to know I have confidence in the men in my life and my bride and my family, the confidence of a deep relationship. There's confidence there. But I also have other relationships I don't have much confidence in. These virgins had confidence of Christ's coming. They were ready. They were prepared. The five were not prepared, and they knew it. So the wise virgins walked in to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. And then it says in verse 11, the foolish ones knocked at the door, addressing him, Lord, 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 open the door. And it's interesting that they call him Lord, but they don't act like he's Lord prior to that coming, right? But in that moment, he's their Lord. It's tragic, the response that he gives. I don't know you. Or I never knew you. I want you to know at that point, there is no hope. There's true, there is a heaven and there is a hell. It's not very popular in our world today, but it is true. It's God's reality. At that point, there is no hope, and I want you to know there is no purgatory to pray you into heaven. There's no purgatory to pray you into heaven. And just so you know, I was raised Catholic, so I understand the doctrine there. There is no purgatory to pray you forward. So today is the day of warning. Today is the day of listening. The day today is to realign, to refocus on who Christ is to us. The next verse, the last verse says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. We don't know when that day is coming. Matthew 24 says it like this in Christ's return. He says, Two men will be in a field, one will be taken, and the other will be left behind. Two women will be at a grind, grindstone, and one will be taken and the other will be left behind. 
March 18th, they say two pastors were preaching. One was taken, one was left behind. I think we get the idea. It's about our heart. Timothy will tell us that God desires for every person to be saved. God, to be, uh, for every person to be rescued by his grace. So the end of the parable tells us what gives us a directive to watch, implying there is a return and he is coming. To be ready. One of our pastors in the began said, said it like this, parables expose, they instruct, and they transform us. In other words, the parables reveal our hearts and the alignment needed. They refocus us to be wise in who he is. And they renew us, our hearts, to be rekindled towards him and with him for his return. Foolishness denies God's reality. But being wise embraces God's reality. And remember how this parable began? This is what the kingdom of heaven will be like. So what would become urgent or fade away in our lives if we embrace God's reality of his coming? What would change? What would realign? What if you were sitting in that room? I just had this visual, okay? You're in a lazy boy. Jesus is in a lazy boy. And he says, who are you over there? What would change? What would, what would fall off, if you would, um, or fade away in our lives if we recognize that? Even when I started preparing for this message, I started thinking about, what am I waiting on and what am I watching for? Is it Christ? See, this right here is God's reality. Right here. It's where wisdom begins, and wisdom begins at the foot of the cross. And the foot of the cross is where Jesus died for our sins. He died for my sins. He died for your sins. See, Christ took our judgment by dying on the cross so that we could come to the wedding feast. He took our place. 1 Corinthians 11 says this, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So what it's saying is, is we practice this, we hold this to our hearts, recognizing he died for us, and we continually do this until he returns. Verse 27 goes on. So then whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, you are guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of this cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. And this is why many among you are weak, sick, and have fallen asleep. 
But if we were more discerning regarding ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. Communion is a very serious, sacred moment. It's the moment in our lives where we continually recognize that I was once a sinner. I was wandering off and he sought me like a stranger so that I may belong to him. Robinson goes on to write in that same hymn, Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the foot of God. He to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. But his kindness yet pursues me. Mortal tongue can never tell. Clothed in flesh till death shall loose me. I cannot proclaim it well. These moments are times of reflection about our walks with Christ. Communion is our reminder that we have been forgiven and cleansed from all of our sin. And you and I absolutely had nothing to do with that. But a Savior came and died. I want to encourage you this morning as we get ready for communion that you would take your time before you come forward. This isn't a time of condemnation. This is a time of honesty and drawing close. Drawing close to the one who loves you and me. So take your time as you come forward. If you haven't received Christ, we would ask you to refrain from coming to receiving communion, but that you would remain where you're at and ask Christ to come in because he's forgiven you. He's invited you to the wedding feast for you to come. On the night he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took a cup saying, this is my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Bow with me as we pray.